Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. This is Rob Spee. I am your host and founder of Channel Journeys. Welcome back, and thanks so much for listening. I am pumped up to see that the Tour de France is back in high gear. They kicked it off last weekend from Nice, France. It's a month later than usual due to the pandemic, but still so awesome to see the show go on. And this weekend, they're in the Pyrenees climbing those mountains, starting from Po, France, where I lived briefly many years back. I got my butt kicked last weekend on my Saturday morning bike ride. The guy up front was riding like a madman, and forget a baseline, I was just trying to hold on, and they finally dropped me around mile 60. I still had 25 miles to go. So this weekend, I took to the mountains, went up and did some hill climbing, some good training up there, fantastic ride, climbing over what we call in Georgia, the Gaps, and a great place to ride up here. So how are you doing in this COVID all-remote world? A few of my colleagues are starting to get together for meetups. We're still not meeting face-to-face with customers or our partners yet, and I really miss that. But we will start meeting up as teams occasionally. For many folks, going 100% remote at work was quite a shock, but not for today's guest. She works for a very successful web-based DevOps company that has actually been 100% remote since it was first founded. I am super excited to have Michelle Hodges join us. Michelle led Gigamon's complete go-to-market transformation to a channel-first business when she was VP of Worldwide Channels and Alliances there. And now she's the VP of Worldwide Channels at GitLab, where she has completely revamped their partner program. Today, Michelle shares how you can turn remote to an advantage and restructure your partner program for the new remote world. This is something all of us channel pros need to hear. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Michelle, good morning. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. How are you doing? I am excellent. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah, I'm feeling good too. I'm in a good mood today. Hope you are too. I am. I'm just fresh back from vacation. So we spent a a long weekend, about six days at the Oregon coast. And so I am relaxed and and ready to hit RQ3. Awesome. Some fresh air always does us well. And where are we finding? Where are you hunkered down today? So I'm in Portland, Oregon. You are in, okay. That's home for you? It is. I've been here about 10 years, I believe. I lived abroad for a long time. And, and when we came back to the US, we, we discovered Oregon and have never moved since. I think we're home. Awesome. Well, I want to hear more about living abroad towards the end of the show. I'll ask you about that. Sure. Cool. Well, it's an honor to speak with you. I saw that you are one of CRN's global channel chiefs and women of the channel in the Power 100. Oh, dear. (laughs) I don't know if that's um, an honor or just because of age. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, take it for an honor. It it sounds good. I will. I've been doing it a long time. I love what I do. And so it was great to be recognized. Yeah, you have a great background and pedigree in the channel, which is really cool. Hey, for starters, can you just give us a quick overview? You're head of channels at GitLab. And and just if anyone's not familiar with GitLab, tell us what you do. Yeah, so... GitLab is the premier DevOps platform, which manages all cycles of the DevOps process. We really focus on taking complexity out of the DevOps process. Okay, excellent. And you guys are a unique company. If I, if I know correctly, you have been a fully remote company since day one. Is that right? 
we are, we're the world's largest, I believe, the world's largest remote company. And so we have no physical presence. We all work from home. And we do that by leveraging our culture and values. There's, there's an acronym, which is uh, credit. It's collaboration, results, efficiency, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, iteration and transparency, as well as all the tools that we have at our disposal, which includes using GitLab as a collaboration tool. Wow. And you joined when? Beginning or end of last year? Just before Thanksgiving in November. Okay. Was it adjustment for you to, to go into this fully remote company? It was. You know, I living in Portland, I've been commuting to the Valley for the last 10 years and thought, oh no, I know how this works, but it's different, right? Um, because of how we work, asynchronous communication, I've never found a place that can work or keep up with me. People are are always working, not because they're working 12 hours a day. It's because they can dip in and out from home in the way that we can communicate. You know, we focus a lot on efficiency and iteration. And so you have to build in time to socialize and to network. And so, yeah, it was just different. It's just different. I I think one of the biggest things I'm used to flying down to Silicon Valley to get all my stuff done, to meet with the controller, to meet with the operations team, to chase the marketing team. You can't do that in a remote company. You have to focus on, on cadence and leveraging your collaboration tools and documenting everything. It's been been pretty a big adjustment but i over time you get used to it and i love it you love it and it's is it more of a flex time people kind of dipping in and out during the day yeah we believe that work interrupts your family i'm sure there's a better way to say it Um, (laughs) (laughs) work work always gets in the way of life right but that's you know hey if you're if your kids are gonna be in your office when you're working then so be it you know that is that is what happens in real life Mm -hmm. if you need to take some personal time we have a, a tell, don't ask policy. Shortly after I joined it and before COVID in February, you know, my daughter has a winter break that I've never been able to join her on and said, this time, nope, we're going to Palm Springs. And I work from the hotel six to eight hours a day. And she was able to hang out at the pool and go down all the slides and join them at dinner. And, and I did it without guilt. You know, I don't know if you have that feeling when you're, when you're trying to do something. This was fully accepted and, and with this understanding that that work and family are all part of what make you, you. Oh, I'm very familiar with that guilt complex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. That's really cool. You know, one of the challenges I've faced, I think a lot of people who have had to shift from having kind of a dual, kind of a part-time remote, part-time office, like I've been in a lot of people, suddenly you you pull away all that social face-to-face contact. And it's it's a tough adjustment for a lot of us. It is. I think there's two sides to that. We do a lot of social activities via Zoom, right? And it gets tiring over time, but it's important, at least for me, to maintain connection with my teams. And so we have things called coffee chats. And I try to do four or five of those a week where you reach out to somebody that you don't know or someone you do know. And the purpose is really to, to spend that time as if you were having a coffee or you were at the water cooler. We also have, a, they used to be called company meetings, now they're called social hours, where you can just dip in and you'll get connected with three or four people around the world to just meet and get to know each other. We do happy hours with our teams, but it is important to, particularly when efficiency is part of one of your values, to carve that time out because you'll, you'll tend to get into a half an hour meeting and just bang out everything because you're trying to be efficient. Yeah. Well, you guys had to have the leg up on a lot of us being already fully remote when COVID hit 
and all of us are trying to, to catch up and adjust to it. We did. For us, there wasn't a big transition, which, which was a little disorienting, right? Because you'd come up into your office and it would be the same. And then there's all this homeschooling going on. There's the, just the added stress of COVID and all of that. And so there was some disorient, disorientation there. What hmm. we found is that we wanted to help as much as we could. Uh, and so we reached out to our customers and partners and, and offered our experience of how we do things. Um, we should attach to this interview our remote handbook to help folks understand how we leverage all of those things in our values, how we document everything, how we focus on transparency to make remote work a little bit better. But it is exhausting. You know, it's different than yeah. in the past. I could wake up at four, get on a flight, be in you know Palo Alto by 8.30, full day, go out to dinner, do it again two days in a row, come back on an 11 o'clock flight. And I'm more tired after a day sitting here doing this um, than a week, you know, of doing that before. So it is a different world. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. It it really is. And it's, I don't know, it's almost comforting to hear you say that it's impacted you, even yeah. though you guys are a fully, fully remote company. Makes me yeah. feel a little bit better. I'm really eager to chat with you about, you know, being a remote company and, and how you design partner programs. You know, you built your partner program as a remote company, but now many companies were faced to do this and our partners are, are having to be remote too. So I'm really eager to chat with you and, and also how you revamped your partner program recently yeah. and what, what drove that. So we'll start first about the program and some of the cool things in the program because we are remote. Cool. So when I joined the company, you know, I started to understand this opportunity and, and actually before I joined, as I was going through the interview process and what, what brought me here, you know, because we are open source, we have hundreds of thousands of users and all this developer love out in the marketplace around our technology. And so our opportunity is to be able to, to help those open source customers realize more value of our platform as they adopt more of the technology and invest in, in actual paid users. Mm -hmm. And so you got to build a program that helps us reach all of that opportunity and then deliver value. And so the program we launched is very much a behavior-driven program asking partners, hey, if you find an opportunity, how can I compensate you for finding that? And I, it might be a typical discount, but it also might be a referral or a rebate because I want to meet you where you are in terms of the incentive and how you transact. Mm -hmm. The second aspect of the program is, hey, I'm going to need you to sit with that customer because you're, you know the customer better than I do. You're involved in a broader technology discussion and help them discover value around the platform via services. So it's very heavy on enablement, but there's also discounts, referrals, and rebates for delivering services over the course of the customer. And so I think we've got three incentives that a partner can receive in a given year for delivering services, and then that starts over the next year as well. What, what are those three? It's 2.5%, which stacks up to 7.5%, and they can, it can be anything. It can be training, it can be implementation, it can be an advisory, it can be assessments, any of those things. They can do three in a year, and then in the next year, they can come back and do that again. And it can be delivered as a discount, rebate, or referral fee. Okay. And that's, if you think about the layer model, that's helping to drive that adoption and expansion. It of is. GitLab. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. And then let me talk a little bit about how remote impacts that. So if you've done any research on GitLab, you'll see that we document everything. We have an over 5,000 page handbook of, of how we do business, how we go to market, how we build our software, the releases that are coming. Everything is meticulously documented. We can all contribute to GitLab and to our handbook. 
And so when you think about building a program, in the past, you have these hard dates of when you launch a program. Some of it is limited by the systems and processes, but a lot of it's limited by the documentation <laughs> mm-hmm. of getting a program guide out. Yes. Um, we can we add to our program guide all the time. We don't change the fundamental contractual nature of what we're doing, but we we are able to add to it and modify it and make it better and add enablement and add content. And so that that just allowed for us to launch really quickly and then to iterate daily as we went forward on helping our partners understand the value of the program. Do you have a program year or is it just continuous? It's continuous. Yeah. So I have always, I mean, this is some of the ins and outs. I have always done quarterly compliance mm-hmm. as well across revenue and certifications because it's this is about the relationship and how we're growing a business together, not about our retroactive activity. It's about what we're building looking forward, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. So you mentioned two tracks. There are actually three tracks in your program, right? And there are three tracks. So we have our technology track. As you can imagine, we are heavily aligned across our alliances, you know, certainly within the cloud platform providers, we have strong alliances with AWS, GCP, Azure, Azure. There are others, Hashi and Atlassian, which are strong partners. I'm forgetting one that's important, VMware uh, on the cloud platform side, plus a whole host of others. And then on our transactional program, we have two uh, tracks. I won't call them tiers, select and open. Select is really those partners that have chosen to invest proactively in building a DevOps practice. There are revenue business plan commitments. I would say they are, they're not targets, they're commitments of business um, that we're going to build together. And there are certifications and accreditations. The certifications are services certifications to support that practice. And then open, because we are an open source business, um, we want to make sure that everyone can contribute and collaborate. And so not a lot of limits to the open program. We ask folks to take some sales training so they understand the technology, but we want to allow all sorts of partners, whether it's a typical bar, a born in the cloud DevOps partner, an application development partner to join the program so that they can get educated and speak to their customers. Interesting. So in that open track, do you have even just kind of pure referral partners that that don't do much beyond just referring new opportunities to you? Uh, absolutely. So all of our incentives across both tracks can be paid as a discount, as a referral fee or a rebate, mm-hmm. because we know some partners are just going to refer. Some are just going to to provide a service, as an example. Yeah. They're not going to ever transact. And so we want to be able to compensate based on the value the partner delivery is delivering and how they go to market. Okay. And then what, what was new when you, you launched this, I think in April of this year, right? This, this revamp program, what, what did you change? (laughs) It's pretty much all new. We had, yeah, we had some, some flat deal reg discounts for transacting and we really wanted to incent behavior around identifying customers and supporting them through the DevOps lifecycle, as well as those as to separate out specific activities. So if somebody's only finding a deal versus only delivering a service, we wanted to compensate them based on their value. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's fundamentally um, all new. And then if you think about the value aspects of what we've added to the program, the accreditation and certification, the services enablement, the channel marketing components that we're launching this quarter, you know, webinars and campaigns in a box, um, marketing automation, you know, all the 
education that we do through our newsletters and webinars, all of that is is added. And do you have tiers, the classic metallic tiers in the program? We do not. No. Did you have that before? I think that, yes, there were. I can't remember what they were called, but it was not really proactively managed. You know, the genesis of our partner program was really to gain access to international markets and to support open source consultants. And so as we grow our customer base and our customers see more value, we had to expand the type of partners that we were focused on. And, you know, this is not just about reaching an international market where we don't have presence anymore. Yeah, this is interesting, Michelle. You know, I, I'm at OutSystems and we also have a platform, different platforms for application development. We've kind of landed in a very similar spot. We blew up the three classic three-tiered program and, and we launched what we call Deliver, Build, Run, kind of similar to what you're doing. The one thing that we're missing that you are doing, I think, is we don't have a great referral program that just makes it easy for referral partners to come in. Yeah. That's something that I want to add to it. Yeah. I mean, I respect tiered programs, particularly in, in high volume, and not to say that we aren't high volume, but they do serve a purpose. I think in the last five or so years, as I build programs, I tend to look at programs that are that are looking at the forward behavior I want to to build as opposed to compensating on past activity. Yeah. And then really finding the partners that are interested in in going deep, but also keeping healthy and well all of those partners for the different individual activities they might do in our open track. And for me, tiers put people into buckets or partners into buckets rather than focusing on relationship and value. Yeah, exactly. That's that's well put. And is there a business planning element to your program? In the select tier there is, right? So one of the commitments okay. you have to make is to is to create the business plan. Really in, there's only a target of about 50 or so select partners and so, and I'm working to be sure that those business plans are reviewed by management, right? Across the board at least twice a year. Around 50 around the globe? Yes, yeah. Okay, interesting. And how many open partners? Unlimited. <laughs> Do you have thousands? We don't have thousands. I think we've added about 200 since April. Okay. So that rate will get to close to a thousand probably sometime in the middle of next year. But, you know, I say unlimited because it's open, right? We are an open source company and lots of people contribute to GitLab and we want a chance for them to collaborate and participate. Is that fully automated, the open track, or do you have like CRM or PAM coverage? Not CRM, um, you know, channel manager coverage. It is, it is automated. We have identified distribution in two markets, and we're going to add distribution as we go forward to be able to get deeper into our mid-market and SMB targets. And we'll, we are hiring now a partner help desk, and we'll have commercial channel managers, which will work to communicate, curate that open track. And there will be some that rise, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we won't be able to identify those. Right. Okay, good. Well, what I'm curious is how can companies take their current channel program and they, they might be revamping it, you know, things that we're discussing, but more specifically, how do you restructure it for this remote world? Are there certain things that we should be thinking about? That, that's an, it's, you're phrasing the question differently than we've talked about it because it, it makes me think of two things. I think the first thing is a program always needs to to focus on the strategic objectives of, of what your company is trying to do in that fiscal, Right. And that the program should drive that forward-looking behavior. We just we just spoke about that. In a remote world, we have to think about how how things are changing, right? So, yes, we're still going to have boot camps as, as channel teams. 
probably won't have as many physical boot camps, and a lot of them are going to be remote and virtual. And so as you're delivering all of this content, you have to think, you know, how do you make sure that the the partner is going to hear it the first time? Can they ask it another time? How can they ask questions and be responded to? You know, how can you document and be transparent and iterative in how you're communicating that? Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I'm just trying to explore other things maybe that I'm not thinking about yet as we go remote as a company. And you have two challenges. I think it's internally, you know, how do you function well as a team when you're operating remotely, which you guys have done since day one. And then, and then how do you better work with your partners and communicate with your partners and build your partners up when you can't do it face to face? Yeah. So I think internally, internally, I, I can't say it enough times. I feel like I've said it 10 already is, is a document, right? Why is that so important? So it's a very simple thing that we do that's different than at, at other places. And we do this with our partners as well. When we have a meeting, and I would say, you know, cadence, sticking to your cadence is important and making sure that that's built, you know, well in advance. But when we do, we attach to that meeting request a note stock and whatever supporting materials that we're going to go through the meeting. You know, I just had an exec review with our, our CMO and I sent the deck yesterday and attached a note stock and said, please review the doc and add any questions into that document so we can discuss in the, in the session. And as we're talking, everybody in the meeting is taking notes in that same document. And, and we are collaborating while we are meeting as well. So now you have a record of the meeting and you have a place to carry on that conversation from the next time. Okay. We do that with our partners. With our key select partners, we have projects that we call them in the GitLab tool where we store all of these note docs, all of their sur- practice development docs, all of their surveys that they've done for the services certification. If there's SOWs, if there's customer presentations, we share those um, in that project folder with them as well. So keeping, you know, that physical relationship is 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 not there, but you can keep a, a, a documented record of what you've talked about and, and a place where you can collaborate together. I right. Guess. And it's almost, I, maybe it's even more natural to do that kind of documenting when you're not face-to-face. It's weird at first, but it's super handy <laughs> as we go forward. And we do it, you know, for our webinars as well, right? So whenever we have a, a partner webinar and we'll have a hundred folks on the phone, we have the doc up, we put the link in Zoom and everyone opens the doc and they're adding in questions as we go forward. So we have a, a record of those questions. We can link all of the reference material that they need. It's a place that they can go back to as well as the recording of the webinar. I love that idea. That's a great one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super helpful. Yeah. And what tools are, are you doing this all with GitLab or what other tools are you using? GitLab, we use Google, Google Doc quite heavily. Yep. For many of our select partners, we also have private Slack channels that they can come in. A lot of our work is done in Slack. And so that makes it really helpful to get folks' attention. I've tr- I was pushing internally to get some private chat Slack channels. And you're the second person who's told me that they've, they're using that. Oh, it's fantastic. And it, it just normalizes communication so much, right? Because anybody can dip in and ask questions. We are super responsive because the way we work with Slack as well. I think another thing that we were able to get away with being remote that I hope it lives, you know, it was exacerbated by COVID and I just hope it goes on. You know, historically, when you're signing on partners or you're, you've got difficult things to talk about with a partner or you want an investment, you wait 
you wait to meet with uh, in person, to go out to dinner, to go to that that sporting event. You wait for the QBR. You wait for that exact sponsorship sponsorship session. And because of COVID, we we don't have those milestones, those uh, those touch points. And so I've signed contracts with partners that in the past have taken me six months. I've signed them in three weeks. I've stood up, you know, solution centers, virtual solution centers with partners that have taken me a year and did it in two months. We just don't have some of that those excuses to wait for the physical um, meeting uh, to be able to do activity. And so this this expectation of, hey, GitLab, we're going to move fast because we can. We've got all these tools, but also we don't have to wait to physically meet. I hope we take that from this time uh, moving forward. No, you're right. We can move incredibly fast these days. It, it, that's a good point. Of course, maybe that's why we're so exhausted at the end of the day, because we it are. <laughs> the amount of things we've done. <laughs> yeah, we, we are moving very fast and getting a ton done. Are there any particular advantages that, that companies can have, I think, that you probably are already enjoying being fully remote? From a, I guess from a company perspective or even a channel perspective, you just mentioned one, which is the ability to move quickly. Absolutely, certainly. There's the financial advantage, right, of not having all that physical space and and being able to do events remote. I, I think within the channel, some of it gets confused with our brand, right? We have high brand recognition, we're high growth, and so I believe our program is able to get more mind share from partners today because of of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you combine that with our ability to execute quickly because of our remote models and our focus on iteration um, that that I think other folks should should look to. You know, when you work in a world of where it's iterative and collaborative and you've got all these remote tools, it doesn't have to be perfect every time. It just has to focus on communicating and the message and having it understood so you can move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. And and do you put, does your company put a lot of focus on process? I imagine so. You've been preparing to go public and that's been public for a while. Yeah. Um, is how, how important is process to, to you and your company? Very, right? So all of our processes are documented. You can go on to the handbook and find them. I think the interesting piece to that point of iteration is that you that we don't wait for the process to be perfect always, that we execute, document where we are give visibility into where we're headed and what the next steps are so we can just get started and move forward. Process is super important, as is focusing on efficiencies, how we can be efficient, both in how we build our teams, but how we execute our campaigns and our enablement and so on. So certainly not the flashiest place I've ever been, but probably the more effective. Mm -hmm. What do you mean, not the flashiest? Um. You know, I've worked at some big brands and with some big marketing budgets and where, you know, the program guide has to be perfect and the Oh yes. <laughs> you know, and the, the website has to be, you know, a hundred percent not to say that ours isn't on point, you know, but we launched with a portal that had deal regiment on day one and it wasn't a hundred percent fully la- ready with all the be- bells and whistles. But we started getting deal regs on day one. Yeah. We launched with Google videos for our enablement and we started getting accreditations day one. So everything isn't isn't a hundred percent perfect and packaged, but it meets the need of where we are and gives a direction of the partner of where we're going to take them. And partners are very accepting of that, I take it. Surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> and some <laughs> of it is, you know, confused with is it remote or is it 
because we're in this this era of this pandemic, but this ability to just get started, let the partner know where you're going to go and get there quickly has meant that we've, you know, signed on 200 partners where, you know, our partner initiated revenue is already at a pretty good chunk. Yeah, we've the progress and, and the pace at which we've moved is impressing me. Very nice. Well, Michelle, I always love to jump a little bit in the my interviews and, and learn a bit, a bit more about my guest. And I'd love to hear more about your channel journey. So did you start with a BA in French literature? In French literature and philosophy. And philosophy. Yeah. Tu parles français? <laughs> Je parle français. Oui, ça arrive de temps Très bien. Ça va? <laughs> Très bien, merci. <laughs> oui, ça va. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Um, did you live in France? Uh, I did. Uh, so it goes back before that. My father was in the military. And so I lived all over the world as a kid. I lived in Thailand and Panama. We traveled a lot all over the place. And so I had the bug super young. Mm. And didn't want to go into the military. I thought for a long time I might go into the foreign service. And so really focused um, uh, in college around the language skills, the cultural components, and then went to graduate school for a master's in international policy. And several of my professors were ex-Forest Service professionals, and it wasn't as exciting <laughs> <laughs> I started to learn about it. I mean, not one of quite as glamorous as, as you hoped. One of my professors was, you know, such a nice man, but the last 15 years of his service was spent basically in the basement of a building in Marseille in France. And I was like, no, 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 that's oh, not no. mine. And so I added, I spent three years in graduate school and added an MBA. I said, hey, I want to go into international business and thought that I would go into logistics. I think that's really where I was focused on and met this woman who was from a vendor in Silicon Valley. She had just retired and she had a manufacturer's rep business. And so she would go to you know peripheral vendors or chip vendors and say, hey, you don't have a channel in Brazil or in the Middle East or in Europe. I'm going to stand you up a channel. I'll take five points uh, for the first six months and then I'm going to give you a channel back. And I did that. That was my very first job out of graduate school and just fell in love with it. Wow. And yeah, said, yep, at my career, I want to have her, her job eventually. And mm -hmm. about, you know, six, seven years ago, I guess, was my first channel chief role. And I've, I've been really fortunate. I'm one of those people that love my job and have uh, been able to kind of travel the world doing it. Yeah, no, being a, a global channel chief is, is such a wonderful opportunity to, to travel the world and have all, and it's probably more glamorous than those other roles that, they, uh, <laughs> exactly. that you thought you'd go down. Well, glamorous of being in and out of airports and hotels and well, and, but there is fun, you know, distribution we, facilities <laughs> and pulling the world, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't miss the travel, but I do miss being with people overseas and, you know, those, that nice interaction that you I get. Do. I built some great relationships. So I'm missing seeing all of my friends and business partners. Definitely. Yeah. So you had some overseas positions with Microsoft. I did. So after, after that first role, I worked for a company called information management research in the document management world. And they gave me rest of world to start. And I built this channel in Asia and Latin America. And after that success, they moved me to London to refresh their EMEA business. And I did that for three or four years and then went to Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And because I had all this 
document management experience, I had early outsourcing experience, right? There are all these places in India that were removing staples and scanning documents and the Indian SI opportunity was just starting. And so I was a great fit to lead the Indian SI business for EMEA for Microsoft for a couple of years. And then it just went from there. Microsoft moved me to India based on my relationships with those Indian SIs to help them stand up their India-focused business. And that was really based around services and solutions, how they could add value to their business to to drive up their their average services rate. And then from there, Business Objects had me move to Singapore. And that was tons of fun. And then I had had my daughter and, um, oh, and it was 2008 when the economy uh, took yeah. uh, So I moved back home um, and started to work. I had all this SI experience. So worked with VMware and helped them stand up their system integration experience, uh, business. That's quite an around the world tour, man. I know. The, I- joke is, the joke is that I left with, you know, a suitcase in a box and came back with a 40-foot container, a baby, a husband, um, and a cat. <laughs> <laughs> that was a successful world tour. Yeah, 15 years later. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. And yeah, and, and since then, you've been with some impressive companies. I have. I was uh, with VMware for a long time, was with Riverbed and Gigamon. Gigamon, I was, you know, my most recent post was just absolutely loving that job. We called it the channel first transition of taking a company that was 90% channel fulfilled, but was not deriving any value from the channel and turning it into a very value channel driven company and just built a great team and a great program was having tons of fun and was not looking to leave, leave. But the GitLab opportunity of being able to build a channel from the ground up and a team from the ground up, high growth, lots of organic demand, very services focused, which is which is my skill set. Yeah, I just couldn't pass it up, and, and, and yeah, so thrilled with my decision. That's a fun opportunity. Can I ask you? That's that's interesting. You you transition from mostly a channel, a fulfillment channel, to more of a value add, I suppose, channel that's that's producing in many other ways. What was that like? How did you make that transition? So I am the, the last really 10 years since, you know, VMware and a little bit before that has been about transitions and transformations of channels. And so okay. I spent a lot of time really understanding what it is the board and the senior leadership are trying to do with their business over the next three to five years and where the channel fits into that. And it's different than the early part of my career where this is, you know, I'm being cute when I say this, but it's different than channel for channel's sake, Right. This is about what is the true value of the channel and then building your program from that aspect. And so you start you start there. And so it might be a bigger channel or a small, smaller channel. Um, here, the impact ultimately will be pretty significant. But we had to start, right, with, okay, this quarter I'm going to deliver, you know, 30 services opportunities. <laughs> but you start there, right? Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's an important distinction, I think. We, when we all start in the channel, we get our channel rose-colored glasses on and everything's channel for channel sake and then transitioning to the board view and well what is the company really trying to accomplish and how does the channel support that is a different perspective and it's different right i've been at places where it really was an ebitda play right there's Mm -hmm. there are cost considerations because it's equity owned and how do you how do you run a channel from that perspective versus at gigamon where we really needed to better understand our customers and it's very similar to here, though. Understand our customers and deliver services value across a total meet in the channel solution. And here, it's it's pretty pretty similar, right? There are significant cloud transitions happening that will result in application 
and platform initiatives that require DevOps process, and that is around value and services. So, yeah. Interesting. So pre-COVID, what <laughs> I always have to kind of position things now with pre and post and existing COVID situations, but pre-COVID, what did you like to do outside the channel that you maybe you can't even do them today, but outside interests, what do you love to do? Well, fortunately, I'm an outside person so and live in Oregon. So getting to the coast, hiking or kayaking, those sorts of things we've been able to, to continue to do, uh, probably more so. I do like my food, right? We, Portland is a great food town. And so we are missing uh, going out and trying new restaurants and, and meeting friends. Though yesterday was my husband's birthday and we ordered from one of our famous restaurants here called Andina. It's a Peruvian tapas place. Man, it was fantastic to have all this great food with interesting flavors delivered in. So you can still do it. You miss some of the experience. Yeah. You know, we're missing school, my daughter's school and the community uh, that we have there. You know, we tend to, to volunteer quite a bit and, and there are lots of social activities. We're missing that as well. Mm-hmm. And we do volunteer. We participate in something called the National Charity League, my daughter and I. And so all of the physical volunteering, whether it's, you know, food banks or shelters or planting trees, whatever it might be, we're doing less of that, but still able to write thank you notes to first responders or build shower kits for vets, you know, those sorts of things Nice at home. So it's same, same, but at home. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) In In the GitLab remote style, right? Absolutely. And then traveling, you know, we do get to go to fabulous places and have, because we've lived all over, we have friends all over. So I miss tacking on that extra weekend to see friends in Singapore, Paris, or wherever it might be. That's a pretty big gap. Yeah. That's so nice, isn't it? When you travel overseas and you know people that you can go have dinner with and yeah, meet their families. Yeah. Very nice. Well, this has been fantastic, Michelle. Thank you so much. Is there last question is, did I miss anything? Anything that you wished I'd asked you about what you're doing there? I think the only thing we didn't talk about is I said it a couple of times is meeting partners where they are and where they go to market and being sure that as you're communicating and providing enablement and marketing materials, that it's in a modular way that they can modular and asynchronous that they can use it, they know how to use it and pack it into their own go-to-market for their ultimate success. Yeah, very important. Well, excellent. And you mentioned a remote handbook. You're willing to share that with our listeners? Absolutely. We'll um, attach the link to the interview and then we'll also attach the link to the program because it's part of the handbook. <laughs> excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Best of luck to you out there. And uh, sounds like you're really doing great with GitLab. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm very grateful. Thanks, Rob, for your time. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. How's that for another great episode? What an awesome adventure and career Michelle has had. She's got such a wealth of channel knowledge, and I love how open she is to share it with us. You'll find a ton of great tips and resources for today's show on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ56. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could add a review on iTunes. I've got a lot of listeners, but not that many reviews yet, and any that you add will help expand the audience and help more channel people expand their skills. Next episode, I'll be talking with a field sales pro and get some tips on how to drive channel sales during this economic crisis. Until then, do good and have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, 
please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.